You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. I want to thank everybody for, um, for praying for me in India, for the team that we took to India. There was five of us. We all got sick at some point. Some of them are still sick. I am holy, though, and for some, the Lord has delivered me because I've been praying, obviously. But Whitey is still, man, he's getting skinnier and skinnier every day. He's doing all right. But it was an amazing trip. Um, but again, thank you for praying for us. Thank you for praying for my family. You'll be hearing that kind of experience work out in my talks, obviously, over the next few years. I'm not going to speak about India today, but it was an amazing, amazing trip. And to see the ministry that Kristen Keene uh, was involved with over there, started over there, and now is bringing over here and rethreaded is phenomenal. I can just say that uh, having seen where they began, the women that, meeting the women that sew those blankets and those things that we buy over here, the joy that they have. There's not a lot in, Cal- in Calcutta. There's just not. There's no tourism in Calcutta. It's just very poor, very dirty, very smelly, very just depressing in every way. And the, the only people that we met that had any sense of joy were the ones that Kristen and, and, uh, had, and her little team there had rescued from the red light district. It was truly an amazing privilege and opportunity to be over there. And so again, if you want to get involved with a ministry and you're a female and want to write letters to women uh, who are caught up in the sex trafficking trade or the trade of prostitution in Jacksonville, we'd love for you to be a part of that through ReThread to get in touch with Kristen. All right. So again, thank you for that. So let me ask you a question. Why, why did you come? Think about it. I want you to, this is like rhetorical kind of, but I want you to think about this. Like, why did you come today? Like, what, what are you here for? I mean, if you really think about it, is it just because, you know, the church is paying for something and you feel obligated? Is it because you want to like meet somebody to go on a date? Is it because you want to check out the religious box? Is it because you did something this weekend that you need forgiveness for? Mm-hmm. I mean, why is it? Why, what, let me rephrase it. What is it that you want from Jesus this morning? What are you thirsting for this morning? Because let's be honest, it's just a whole lot easier to stay in on Sunday morning, isn't it, than make the nine o'clock service at RCC. What is it? Think for a second. Why did you come today? Specifically today, why are you here? You know, there are times when I've come to church or I've come to Jesus wanting one thing and him giving me a whole lot more than I thought I was going to get. Kind of like Margaret in that conference, I'm fine with the Father. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, actually, actually, I have something for you. Something that you don't even know that you need. And it's not just anything. It is what will give you life. The Samaritan woman at the well that I spoke about two weeks earlier went to the well that day in hopes of needing, having a need met, a physical need. She went thirsty. She went looking for water. And she met Jesus. And Jesus ended up giving her something she had no idea she needed. 
And that's the invitation for all of us today is, do you want what Jesus has for you? Do you believe that what Jesus has for you is for, is for you and that it's good? Do you want what his love brings to the table? And then the second question is, how is it possible that a holy God could offer her anything? Knowing her reputation, her brokenness, her depravity. How could that be? In this story, Jesus unpacks that for us. Ending up, we will be asked the same question. Do you want what Jesus has for you? And are you willing to give him what's required so that that life can live within you, so that his love can live within you? I've kind of shortened the story. I'm gonna recap some of it for you. Why don't we put that up there on the screen? This is uh, John 4, 6 to 18. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, this is the key line that sets us up, sets her up for the, if you knew what I was really offering you and she has no idea. If you knew the gift of God and who it is, this is what makes it powerful. That I am holy, that I'm the holiest, I am holy, I am perfect, I am clean, I am pure. That it's me offering you who are broken, dirty, of disrepute. If you knew the gift and you knew who I was, only if you knew. You wouldn't be coming here for water, water. You'd be coming here for living water. You'd be asking me, you would be saying, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it, drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And so basically, I'm gonna have to paraphrase this, but I'm gonna have to, here we go. And so basically what's happening is she's just missing it. She's coming to Jesus. This, this physical need that she has is so overwhelming in her life that she can't get past. She can't see into the spiritual. She can't even, she doesn't have a hint or an understanding at all of what Jesus is really offering her. So what does she do? She kind of mocks Jesus right here. She says, dude, you don't, well, how, how's this gonna work? How is this gonna work? Are you greater? You don't even have a jug. You got no rope. You got no, you know, it's way down there. Like, how are you gonna do that there, tough guy? Are you greater than Jacob? And she's comparing him now to Jacob and mocking him, mocking his power and his authority. And Jesus is like, here we go. I gotta break it down for you. And this is what happens. But Jesus said to her with love and compassion, the only way that Jesus would do it, because by now I'd have fire coming down from the heavens, I think. I was like, oh, more powerful than Jacob. Watch this. Push nizzle. Here we go. Everyone, this is what Jesus says. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus, oh, back up. Jesus said, I only know memorizing the Hebrew, so we gotta read it in English. <laughs> Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, 
you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Oh, boy. Lord, open the eyes of our heart to see and to hear what you have for us this morning. Amen. You know, as we begin this picture of what, what's happening here, the context of what's happening here, if we look at chapter three and four, we get this wide open view. In chapter three, we have these opposites going on. In chapter three, we have Jesus dealing with Nicodemus, a man. Chapter four, a woman. Chapter three, he's like a righteous dude, okay? He's a religious person. Chapter four, ill repute, bad person, scorned, looked down on by society. And we have these, this, this contrast, you know, in chapter three, we have Jew, chosen, Samaritan, lowly, lowly, lowly group here, okay? And I explained that two weeks ago, what did it mean to be a Samaritan? Basically, when Israel left because they were conquered, the poor, the meager, the, the, the people that nobody wanted were left in the nation of Israel. Other nations came in, had babies with them, and the nation of Samaria was born, and so what we have at the invitation, the beginning of this passage is this contrast of who Jesus is speaking to. Who is this new life? Who is this living water being offered to? The most religious as seen by the world and the lowest, the least, the last, and the lost and everyone in between. So wherever you are on that spectrum, you've been going to church your whole life, you love Jesus, you, you, know, you named your kids after Bible names and you were in it to win it for Jesus, right? Or you have come to church for the first time in a lot of years wondering if you have the right clothes to wear, wondering if, if there's room for you here, wondering if God not just, I, won't, I don't want his love, I just don't want him to hate me. I don't want him to crush me because of how bad or how dirty or how far I feel from him. This message is for everybody. The love of God, new life, living water is for everybody. And we are without excuse. This story is for us. That's good news. That's great news. And so what happens is Jesus moves into this woman towards her, loves her, loving her, moving towards her, disciples leave. Normally a Jew, a male Jew, especially a rabbi, would never even talk to a woman at a well because that's where you pick chicks up. It would be like Jesus going to a nightclub. It would. By himself, be like out there on the dance floor with the single ladies, you know, out there. What's up? You come here to dance. I got to dance to show you. You know what I mean? That's kind of the vibe that we would be creating in this culture and context. Jesus went to a dance club by himself and was on the dance floor dancing with single ladies, or actually in this case, a woman who was a real rep, you know, who was kind of looked down upon. That's the picture. That's the picture that we have from this scene. But Jesus loves her. He crosses all of those, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He loves her too much. He's not gonna let her be satisfied any longer with what she's settled for. And so, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, he would have given you the living water. Living water. Living water back then, you know, when we hear the term living water, we think, don't, I mean, we kind of, we're programmed to think living water, where the water doesn't live. He must be talking about like eternal life. But back in the day, living water was water that came from a stream, came from a spring, water that was flowing, water that was clean and pure. It wasn't eternal. There'd be no association at all with the word living water meaning something eternal or spiritual at all back in Jesus' time. 
And so that's why she keeps asking, like, where are you going to get this, dude? What are, you, what are you talking about? This living water. And Jesus is speaking to her in spiritual terms, but she's missing it because he's using ordinary language. But Jesus isn't talking about physical water at all. He's referring to the new life that has come, that he has come to bring to anyone and everyone who will have it. But this is very confusing to the woman. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw it with. I spoke about this a minute ago. You don't have a jug. The well is deep because she's thinking bubbling water. It's a spring fed deal. Maybe if he can get through this, what would happen is the stagnant water would sit on him. Maybe if he get through the stagnant water, there's the bubbling water. Maybe that's what he's talking about. But he's got nothing. He's got nothing to draw it with. The woman's like, no rope, no bucket, nothing. And so Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. What I give you, when we experience Jesus, we will stop thirsting. Here's the message. We will stop thirsting for the things that have satisfied us. The water that I give in, give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And here's the first word of the spirit that we hear. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so Jesus is contrasting what the world offers what she's been seeking satisfaction from was something that's new, something that's eternal, something that's life-giving. And all the while, what Jesus is doing is setting her up. He's saying, I have something for you. Not what you want, not what you have come here for, not what you think that you need. Because what you're satisfying your life with is taking away from what I have to offer you. I have something for your soul that will last forever. And then he goes to try to convince her, doesn't he? He says, man, not only is this water, is is it gonna quench your thirst? You'll you'll never be thirsty again. It'll become a spring inside of you. And Jesus is convincing her, do you believe what I'm saying? Please, he's wanting her to trust him, to believe in him, that what he has to offer is real. He's saying, I have something that goes beyond what you see, something that will satisfy you in a way that you've never been satisfied before. And it's not only for you, but it's for all of creation. That's a lot of bubbling, lots of bubbling going on here. There's a lot that Jesus is offering her. In chapter seven, Jesus and John, Jesus uses the same language, rivers of living water flowing from the hearts of those who believe and trust in him. And then John tells us he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But right here, the, the, he, he leaves the mystery open. He's wooing her in. He's saying, do you trust me? Do you believe me? I'm not gonna tell you or show you the whole deal. You're gonna have to trust me with this. Do you want what I have? And finally she goes, I want some of that. And appeals to her having to track down to the water hole every day. I don't wanna have to be thirsty again. She's still on the, the physical plane. I don't wanna have to come out here in midday anymore. I don't wanna have to avoid the women of the town who think I'm a slut. You know, who talk about me behind my back. He's appealing to the sense in her, this physical sense of rest, of restoration and healing that he knows her heart has a desire for. And so she finally says, okay, Jesus, I want this living water. And you're like, yes, sweet. And you expect Jesus to kind of open the floodgates, don't you? You expect him to say, this is what I've been waiting for. Here you go. But then this is what he does. And this is the hard part of the message. Jesus said to her, 
go call your husband and come here. And you're all, and if you know, you know, imagine you're walking up to the seat and you're like, oh, this is, good, this is going bad. This is going to go bad. Because the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right. You're right. I have, saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And you're thinking, awkward. Jesus, what are you doing? You pulled her in. You had her right there at the hook. You baited it. She's ready to go. And why you got to bring up this like dark area of her life? Why are you doing that? And he just kind of touches the part of her heart that's so wounded. And if you read the rest of the passage, what happens is she goes on to talk about religion and totally moves off point. But Jesus is not getting it wrong. He knows that in order for her to receive the gift of living, bubbling water that he offers, she'll have to get rid of the stale, stagnant, dead water that she's become satisfied with and been living on for all of her life. By exposing her sin, Jesus is preparing her heart for the knowledge and reception of the gift. If you only knew the gift, he's preparing her heart to receive the gift, but he's revealing at the same time the character of the giver, that I am holy and I love you and I will move towards you and I will rescue you right where you are, but I will never allow you to stay there. Your sin is repulsive to me. Your sin is costing you the life that I have for you. You see, perfect love doesn't allow sin to remain in our life. Perfect love doesn't just unconditionally say, I'll take you as you are, I'll let you stay as you are because I just love you a whole bunch. Perfect love, unconditional says, I love you. My message is for everyone, but I will never allow you. I love you too much to allow you to stay where you are. True love compels us to become holy, like God is holy. True love says, what is it in your heart that's preventing you from experiencing the new life that I have for you? And Jesus moves towards her and shows her, my love for you is this great, crossing all these boundaries, extending my love to you, loving her where she is, but not leaving her as she is. The lie in the Christian church today, especially in churches like ours, that centers on grace and love, is that love receives and accepts everyone as they are and leaves them there. That's a bunch of baloney. That's a bunch of baloney. Yes, our church loves everybody, where they are, how they are, invites them in. But we expect over time that God's love will change them. We don't change them. We love them. God changes them. Jesus lays bare the most, the greatest wound in her heart and says, I love you and I love you so much. I want you to have life to the full. But in order for you to have life to the full, you have to allow my love to unsettle and uproot the sin in your life. There's not room for both. This doesn't mean work harder. This doesn't mean I have to get cleaned up to experience God's love. That's not what I'm saying. It's the difference between, it's the difference from being motivated from a holy God 
and a loving God. And yes, God is both. God is holy and God is loving. But when we're motivated, we read the story, we're motivated from a God who is holy and we think, and well, if God's, God's holiness means that I have to be holy for him to love me. And so we start trying to be holy. It's exactly what Brian was talking about last week and living from God versus living for God. When we're trying to be holy, we try to do all these things. We try to correct our life. We try to manage our sin. We're trying to live for God. And Jesus says, no, live from me. What, he said, what does he do to the woman? He moves towards her in love. He says, receive the gift of life that I have for you. We receive the gift of life. And this water, what does it do into us? What does the scripture say? It bubbles up. It starts moving. It gets things moving around in our heart and our soul. It's bubbling up, bubbling up. And eventually, it pops something loose that's causing death. It pops something loose that's compromising life to the full. It could be forgiveness issue with the father. It could be an experience that we've had where we're angry. It could be the struggle of trusting God with our finances. It could be lust. It could be self-image issues. There's a number of things. And Jesus just says, look, my love is poured into you as it pops things loose. As the bubbling unsettles and unroots sin in your life. Just bring it to me. Just give it to me. I, love, I loved you as you were. You can trust me. Just bring it to me. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Just bring it to me. Don't allow that to stay there. It's preventing me from pouring in more water. Just let it bubble up, pops it loose, and we bring it to Jesus. In worship today, we're singing that last song. And the Lord just showed me, how is that possible? The character of a holy God, able to love a woman so lost, able to love us. And it's because of the cross. It's because of the cross. This isn't about something that you've done, something that you can do. It's about acknowledging and coming to the cross, acknowledging, seeing the work and the love that Jesus has poured out on the cross for you to come into the holy presence of God to receive the love that the Father has for you. So why'd you come this morning? What are you thirsty for? What's preventing you from experiencing the new life that Jesus has for you? Let's stand.